Before a baby begins to walk, they must first learn how to stand. And while I'm certain that we really don't have a memory of those moments when we first started standing on our own, I'm guessing that every parent here this morning can remember the days when uh, their babies began to take a stand. And it's typically about six months old to 12 months old. That's when most babies attempt to start standing up by pulling themselves up, holding on to anything they can get their hands on. But, you know, but before that time, uh, that point in time, you know, the, the, the little legs of a baby, they don't have the strength to support their weight. And in this, I can uh, sort of relate. But, uh, you know, when, when, when the day comes when they're finally able to pull themselves up to a standing position, it's at that point in time when they look so cute, you know, kind of like a, like a Oompa Loompa who's had way too much to drink, uh, you know, and they're just kind of bouncing around and, you know, struggling to stand. But, but, but seriously, though, a baby who is just beginning to stand, well, they're, they're, they're not ready to walk yet. And the reason why is because they don't yet have the ability to balance their little bodies and and this robs them of the strength to continue standing and so typically they'll fall back down and this is a growing process in the life of every baby. What you might not know is that it's in a similar yet spiritual way that new believers also struggle to stand at the beginning of their faith. And the reason why is because, you know, they're just starting to exercise new spiritual muscles that we need to actually stand strong with our Savior Jesus. And much like the baby who must continue developing until they're able to walk on their own, well, every born-again believer should also continue developing as we receive the discipleship that we need so that we can become disciples who have the strength to stand. With this as the goal, we're going to spend our time today considering the way that Paul helped the Christians in Thessalonica to learn how to stand. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we'll begin to see, first of all, that those who want to stand strong with our Savior, well, we must be established in the faith. Secondly, those who want to stand strong with our Savior must also be encouraged in the faith. And then thirdly and finally, we'll learn that those who want the strength to stand strong with our Savior, we must be equipped in the faith. Well, with this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here we find Paul. He's helping the Christians in Thessalonica to stand strong in their faith. And as we make our way to the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that Paul wrote this letter in order to encourage the new believers there in Thessalonica. And knowing that they were already enduring the excruciating pain of persecution, you know, Paul persuaded them to refocus their faith on the millennial kingdom of Christ. And not only that, but he also sent Timothy. He decided to send Timothy back to Thessalonica in order to help them to become believers who were standing upon a firm foundation of faith. And with this as our focus, well, let's pick up our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to begin reading there at verse 1. Here Paul declares, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. 
Now, I want to remind you that it was back in chapter 2 where we first learned that the servants of Satan were somehow hindering Paul from immediately returning to the city of Thessalonica. They had chased him out of this city, and they had tried to kill him, and, and, and so they had fled. And, and, and rather than leaving those new believers back in Thessalonica to fend for themselves and try, in order to figure things out on their own, well, Paul decided that he needed to send Timothy back because he knew that Timothy was a, a, a disciple who could help them to become believers who were being established in the Christian faith. And that's exactly what Timothy did. He, he went back to Thessalonica and he helped to establish those saints. Now, uh, for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that the word established, which is found there in the middle of verse two, it's translated from a Greek word, which was used in reference to that which is firmly fixed. Uh, the same word was used of anything that's made to be set fast or, or is stabilized. And in a spiritual sense, the Greek word, which is rendered established, it's used of those who are standing strong upon the solid foundation of saving faith. I want to consider how Paul presented then a contrast between the word established and the word shaken. And if you would look with me again here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to back up and read there beginning at verse 2 where we learn that Paul sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's contrasting the word established, which is found there in the middle of verse 2, with the word shaken, which is found there in verse 3. And while the word, word established, it speaks of the steadfast saints who are strengthened to stand, well, that word shaken, it was used of those who are agitated with anxiety. The same word was also used of those who are moved by the fearful troubles that make us weak in the knees, so to speak. Now, in light of this definition, well, there's no doubt in my mind that the new believers there in Thessalonica uh, they were spiritually shaking with fear. And the reason why was due to the fact that they were, they were already suffering the pain of persecution for the sake of their newfound faith. And knowing how the worries of this world can cause believers to fall away from the faith, Paul was quick to send Timothy back to Thessalonica so that Timothy could then help those uh, who were shaken to be established. In light of Paul's plan, well, we must not fail to realize that the Christian who wants to be established in the faith, well, we must first re receive the discipleship that we need so that shaking believers can be strengthened to stand. To make my case, I want to take a moment to consider the confidence that Paul had in his young protege named Timothy. You see, Paul wasn't wondering if Timothy could accomplish this task. Paul wasn't questioning if Timothy was able to strengthen the faith of the Christians who were there in Thessalonica. No, instead, he was completely confident in Timothy's ability to go and establish the faith of those new believers. One reason why? Well, it's because Timothy had been raised by a mother and a grandmother who were both women of great faith. Not only that, but Paul was also confident in Timothy's ability to disciple the Christians there in Thessalonica because Timothy himself had been a believer who received discipleship from Paul. I like the way that Paul put it in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's there where uh, Paul declares this. He says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. 
and I'm persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, from this, we see here that Timothy was a believer who grew up at the feet of two excellent examples of faith. He was raised by a believing mother as well as a believing grandmother. And so he, he witnessed their faith as he grew up. And he was also a believer who went on to humbly receive the teachings and the training of Paul so that his faith might be properly established. And with that being the case, you know, Paul was completely confident in Timothy's ability to go and help the saints there in Thessalonica to become believers who are established in the faith because Timothy's faith had been established through discipleship. Well, listen, it's in similar fashion that the Lord Jesus also encouraged Simon Peter to help his brethren to become established believers. Proof of my point is found in Luke chapter 22. It's there where we find the Lord Jesus. He's encouraging the apostle Peter by declaring this. He says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I love that. The Lord Jesus was helping to strengthen the faith of the apostle Peter so that Peter could then turn around and strengthen the faith of his brethren. He strengthened or encouraged Simon Peter to then establish his brethren so that their faith might not fail. And in this way, the Lord was actually setting up a discipleship program by which his saints would be strengthened to stand. And listen, this was not only the Lord's plan for the first century, but this is also the Lord's plan for the 21st century. This was not only something that the Lord was encouraging Simon Peter to do there in the first century, but this is the same program that the Lord has for the church here in our day and age. And to make my case, I want to consider the instructions that Paul presented to the church in Colossae. And so hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians, and if you will, let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. As you make your way to the second chapter of Colossians, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the Lord Jesus didn't send us out to make Christian converts. Uh, And and listen, you know, making Christian converts is wonderful. I love engaging in evangelism, leading people to the Lord, but that's just the start. We haven't been called to just make Christian converts. We've been called to go out and make dedicated disciples who receive the instructions they need to become established believers. And then as established believers, they learn how to stand in the strength of our Savior so that they can begin to walk. With with this as the goal, I want to consider the way that Paul explains it here in Colossians chapter 2. If you would look with me here beginning at verse 6. Here Paul declares, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. 
And here in these verses, we find Paul, he's warning the Christians there in Colossae about the fleshly philosophies and the empty deceits and the vain traditions that have been created by carnal men. And uh, while the seasoned saint is able to recognize and reject these deceptive doctrines, there are many new believers who are easily led astray by fleshly philosophies and empty deceits and, and vain traditions of men. And with that being the case, It's crucial for every Christian to receive the discipleship that we need so that we can be rooted and built up in Christ Jesus as we're established in the faith. Now with this as the goal, I want to consider the importance of receiving the instructions that we need. And so if you would look again here with me at Colossians chapter 2. I want to back up and begin reading once again at verse 6, because here Paul declares, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Which is to say, hey, you received him by faith, so now walk by faith, right? But then he says that you're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Notice, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. According to Paul, the Christians in Colossae were rooted in Christ. They were built up in Christ. They were established in the faith by which they were saved because of the way they had been taught. That word taught, which is found there in verse 7, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of the discourse by which a disciple or delivers didactic discourses. In other words, the, you know, in, in the context here, Paul here is referring to the way that the believers who were being discipled had received the instructions, the biblical instructions that they needed so that they could be rooted in Christ and built up in Christ and established in their faith. In this way, the born-again believer is able to take a strong stand against the fleshly philosophies of this world as we receive the biblical instructions that we need to be established in the faith. Now this brings us to our second point, because listen, those who want to stand strong should not only be established in the faith through biblical instruction, but we must also be encouraged in the faith. And to explain what I mean, let's make our way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here we find Paul, he's now encouraging the Christians there in Thessalonica. Now, I want to back up and begin re- uh, reading once again there at verse 1. Here Paul declares, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now, as we take another look at these verses, we see here that Paul not only sent Timothy to establish the faith of those new believers, but he also sent Timothy to encourage them concerning their faith. Timothy was sent to encourage them, and, and I have no doubt that these were discouraged disciples. I have no doubt that they were discouraged disciples who were desperate for a little encouragement. And the reason why is because remember, They were already suffering the pain of persecution, which I have no doubt was a great discouragement. They desperately needed some encouragement, and for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that the word encourage, which is found there in the middle of verse 2, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of any entreaty that brings exhortation. Uh, 
The, the same word is also used of the compassionate consolation that brings comfort. And I have no doubt that we all have times when we need some comfort. We need to be comforted as we make our way through this world that is so uncomfortable. Uh, you might be interested in, to know here that this was the same word that Paul also used in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's there where he challenges Timothy to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Yeah, the, the word encourage not only speaks of comfort, but it also speaks of exhorting or exhortation. And Paul there was encouraging Pastor Timothy to exhort or encourage the people in his church by teaching and preaching the word. That's right. The, the preaching and the teaching of God's word brings that encouraging exhortation that we need. In this way, we can see how those who want to, to be strengthened so that we can stand with our Savior, well, we must spend time receiving the biblical instructions by which we are exhorted and encouraged and comforted. It's for this reason that Paul encouraged uh, pastors like Timothy and Titus to create discipleship opportunities within their churches where new believers could be encouraged and exhorted to stand. I like the way that Paul describes this in Titus chapter 2. It's here where he directs Pastor Titus in this way. He says, as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine." That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Here in these verses, we find Paul, he's encouraging Pastor Titus to create a discipleship program within his church. And, and, and listen, this was a discipleship program which would give the older women in the church an opportunity to admonish the younger gals. At the same time, the older men were called to exhort the younger guys to stand strong in the faith. And, and in this way, the believers who are then grounded in the faith, the, the more mature believers are then supposed to encourage those who are newer in the faith. This is the discipleship program that Paul was encouraging Timothy, uh, Titus to set up in his church. And so we see that within the church, older or more mature Christians are supposed to help the new believers to, to, to begin standing strong in the way that they ought to. At the same time, listen, new believers can also be an encouragement to their disciples. And in order to prove my point, let's pick up our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to draw your attention back, uh, beginning at verse 4. Here Paul declares, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you 
and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Now, here in these verses, we find Paul, he's sharing his concerns about the new converts who were there in Thessalonica. He was concerned that these new believers might be led astray because remember, Paul was run out of town quickly and you know these guys you know, weren't fully established in their faith as of yet. And so Paul was worried that they had been tempted by the tempter to return to a life of sin. And it's for this reason that he sent Timothy to go and encourage them and to, to go and establish them in the faith. And, and, and so Timothy went and encouraged them to continue living for the Lord, no matter the troubles or the tribulations. And not only that, but Paul was then comforted. Once Timothy came back and gave a, a good report about how these believers were continuing to grow, Paul was then comforted to discover that they were still standing strong in the faith. As a matter of fact, look with me again there, beginning at verse 6. Here again, we learn that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were, notice, comforted. We were comforted concerning you by your faith. Now, that word comforted, Uh, it's translated from the same Greek word that was rendered encouraged back in verse two. Same Greek word. And so we see that Paul not only sent Timothy to encourage uh, the Christians in Thessalonica, but then the Christians in Thessalonica were able to encourage Paul. And and the reason why is because they had become those believers who were being rooted and built up and established in the faith. Yeah, the, the, the report that had come from, well, you know, with Timothy, it encouraged Paul because they were new believers who were growing. Now listen, if you're a new believer, please trust me when I tell you that you can be an encouragement to others. Now, I don't mean to suggest that you should, you know, teach next Sunday's Bible study. But as a new believer, you know, as, as a new believer, you Uh, can be an encouragement to those who are more mature in the faith. Because listen, the faith of a new convert who seeks to become an established believer, they become an encouragement to the seasoned saints in the church who who have possibly lost the the simple passion of of the new believer. Uh, we, We often call this the first love that we have with the Lord. You know, it's in that first love connection that we have with the Lord where there's just like this this zealous passion for the things of God. And and listen, you know, when, whenever I see new believers in the church, just zealous and passionate and and just fully in love with the Lord, it it encourages me. And and it encourages me in in sometimes convicting ways as I think, have I lost that zeal for the Lord? Have I lost that passion? Have I left my first love relationship with the Lord? for this reason that I encourage every Christian to develop discipleship relationships with one another. You see, Timothy's not only need Paul's, but Paul's also need Timothy's. We need to have these relationships where we're encouraging one another, where seasoned saints can help to establish and encourage younger believers and where younger believers then remind the seasoned saint about that, that, that pure zealous love and passion for the Lord. In this way, we can encourage one another to stand strong in the faith. 
I like the way that Paul put it in Hebrews chapter three. It's verse 13 where he says this, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Christian, listen, we ought to be encouraging one another every day. On any day that's called today, which I'm pretty sure is true of today, (laughs) any day that you wake up and say today, you know, today is the day that we ought to encourage one another. And one reason why is because we live in an extremely discouraging world. I don't think that I need to go into, you know, all all the facts that would prove my point. We live in an extremely discouraging world. And everywhere we go, whether we go to work, whether we go, you know, wherever, there's discouragement. And we desperately need encouragement. And this ought to be the place, the the church ought to be the place where Christians are encouraging one another. Sad to say that, you know, many Christians fall away from the faith because you know, they, they just can't endure the discouragement of this world and, 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 and they don't plug in enough to be encouraged every day. Listen, if you're discouraged and no one's encouraging you, then the question is, are you plugged in? Or are you keeping your church at arm's distance? If you're discouraged and in desperate need of encouragement, then I encourage you, plug in so that we can exhort one another daily while it is still called today. I like the way that Paul put it in Hebrews chapter 10. There he declares, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now that word exhorting is translated from the same Greek word, which is rendered encouraged. Paul was simply saying we need to exhort or encourage one another here within our fellowship of faith. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Christian, listen, we've been called to stir up love and good works here within our fellowship of faith. And we do this by continually encouraging one another. And while it's true that there will be those who choose to forsake the assembly of their church, listen, it's also true that those who want to stand strong in the faith so that we can walk by faith with our Savior Jesus, well, we need to be encouraged every day. And so we ought to plug in. And we ought to become those Christians who are being discipled, being established and encouraged in the faith. Now this brings us to our third point because listen, those who want to stand strong should not only be established in the faith and we should not only be encouraged in the faith, but we must also be equipped in the faith. Now with this as the goal, if you would, let's make our way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and you know, it's here in 1 Thessalonians 3 where we find Paul now praying for the perfection of the Christians who were there in Thessalonica. If you would look with me there, we'll pick up our study beginning at verse 8. Here Paul declares, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. 
Here in these verses, we find Paul acknowledging the fact that the Christians there in Thessalonica were standing fast in the faith. He, he was rejoicing because they were standing fast in the faith. And the phrase stand fast, which is found there in the middle of verse 8, that's translated from a Greek word which was used of those who stand firm or stand solid. It speaks of those who were stationary. It's a word that was used of those who were unmoved by the trials and the troubles of this world. And in this context, you know, Paul was commending the Christians there in Thessalonica for the way that they were persevering every persecution by continuing to stand strong with our Savior Jesus. We should also notice how Paul rejoiced after learning that the prayers that they had been praying were being answered. What this means is that Paul had been praying for the new believers there in Thessalonica. They had to depart quickly, but they prayed. They prayed night and day. They prayed exceedingly for the Christians there in Thessalonica. And in light of his example, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that our spiritual stance and, and the strength that we need to stand with our Savior, well, it's only going to be as strong as our prayer life with the Lord. Our, our spiritual stance is only as strong as our prayer life with the Lord. And it's for this reason that Paul encouraged the Christians in Rome to continually pray. He tells them that they ought to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, but also to continue steadfastly in prayer. It's God's will for us to always pray. And, and simply put, what this means is that all day long, we ought to just be checking in with the Lord and we ought to lift up every concern. And every time we ha- have a troublesome thought, we ought to just cry out to the Lord and seek his help. We have to be in constant communication with the Lord each and every day because he's the one who strengthens us to stand. And while we should most certainly pray for the strength that we need personally, uh, we should also be praying uh, the same prayer for others. And I like the way that Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 6. It's verse 18 where you know he's, he's talking about the armor of God and he's talking about putting on each piece of the armor. And, and then as he wraps this up, he says in verse 18 that we ought to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, Paul was not only encouraging us to pray for the strength that we need to stand, but he was also encouraging us to become those believers who are persistently persevering in prayer for the rest of the saints. That we ought to be praying for all the Christians in the world today. Especially those that we fellowship here with at church. How much time do you spend praying for the other believers here at church? I have no doubt that we can all spend some time complaining about the other people here at church. But what if you took all those complaints and turned them into prayers? How might that help our fellowship of faith? That rather than complaining about the people who have, you know, stepped on your toes at church, how about we pray for them and lift them up to the Lord so that they might be established and encouraged and equipped in, 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 the, in the church. 
In order to, to better grasp this goal, I want to consider the example that Paul presents here in our text today. And so if you would look with me again here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to back up and begin reading at verse 9. Here again, Paul asks, for what thanks can we render to God for you? He's talking about his prayers, right? So, so how, how can I go before God and, and be thankful uh, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Here in these verses, we find Paul, he's informing the Christians there in Thessalonica that he was praying for them. And he wasn't just praying sometimes. It says that um, he says he was praying for them every night and every day exceedingly. And we must not fail to notice here that he was praying for the opportunity to, to return to them and reconnect with them. And the reason why, well, it's because he wanted the opportunity to provide them with the discipleship that is able to perfect the faith of those who trust in Jesus Christ. He wanted to come back so that he could perfect what was lacking in their faith. Now, uh, just to be clear about this, listen, the, the word perfect, which is found there in verse 10, it's translated from a Greek word, which was used of that which is strengthened so that, it is, it, it, so, so that it's sound and stable. It speaks of repairing something that's been broken. The same Greek word was used of those who were prepared and even trained through a discipleship program. It's a word that was used of those who are perfectly equipped to accomplish their calling in Christ. And so we see then that Paul was praying for the opportunity to return to Thessalonica so that he could provide those Christians with the training and the equipping that they needed to stand strong in the Lord. That's right. That word perfect speaks of equipping. This is actually the same word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 6. It's verse 40 where he declares this. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained or equipped will be like his teacher. In other words, the disciples of Christ need to be equipped with the doctrinal instructions of God's word. And in this way, we are becoming more and more like our savior, Jesus. Every time we are equipped with Christian discipleship, we become more and more like Jesus. And in this way, we, we receive the spiritual strength that we need to stand strong and walk by faith with our Savior. At the same time, what this also means is that those who haven't yet reached the level of Christ-like perfection, well, they should continue to receive the discipleship that equips us to become more like Jesus. And so, so, so who, who, who is this true of? How, how many of us have yet to achieve Christ-like perfection. And listen, I'm here to tell you that, that positionally, we are perfect in Christ. At the moment of our faith, we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we are positionally perfect, and I, and I love that. Practically, not so much. Practically, not so perfect. We're all still falling very short of the perfect standard of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there's still a lot lacking in our faith, amen? Now, now listen, if you've personally achieved Christ-like perfection, then let me step aside. You come up and finish the rest of this Bible study. 
you know, because I would much rather someone who has achieved Christ-like perfection to, to be the teacher here. No, okay, so, so we're all imperfect, right? We're, we're all imperfect, and, and we all have yet to achieve Christ-like perfection. Therefore, we need to be equipped with further doctrinal instruction so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. I want to consider how Paul puts it here in our text today. If you would look with me again there at verse 10, here Paul says that he was praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect or equip what is lacking in your faith. That word lacking, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of any deficiency. And whether you know it or not, we are all suffering from discipleship deficiencies. Now, you might not like hearing that. You might have come in today thinking that, you know, you're, you're pretty much just like Jesus, you know. But listen, I'm here to tell you, we are all suffering from discipleship deficiencies. And there's, there's times when we come to church and we hear something that we don't really care to hear. There's a conviction that hits our heart. And it's just like, well, I'm mad at the pastor now because he said it. Listen, don't blame me when something in the word of God convicts you, you know, and, and, and I'm here to tell you that I struggle with it as well, because listen, I have to prepare the Bible study and then I have to come up here and teach it twice. So I get convicted three times. I'm always mad at me. You know, I can't stand me and yet I have to go home with me every single Sunday. The fact is we all struggle with discipleship deficiencies, and we need to hear those convicting things that bring us to that point of, of wanting to become more like Jesus Christ. And listen, this is true of the newest of new believers, and this is true of the most seasoned saints among us. We all have discipleship deficiencies that keep us from walking in the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ. And it's for this reason that I encourage every Christian, including myself, uh, that we need to realize that we have to continue getting equipped. Listen, getting equipped through Christian discipleship ought to be the lifelong commitment of every Christian. To make my case, I want to consider the instructions that Paul presented to the church in Ephesus. And so hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians, and let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, I just want to take a moment to point out that the Lord Jesus has created a solid foundation of discipleship, which was first built upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. And then, you know, building past the chief cornerstone, you have the apostles and prophets, which basically sums up uh, the, the, the word of God. And so the foundation of the church is built upon Jesus Christ, followed by the apostles and the prophets. And then the evangelists are the ones, you know, who are leading uh, unbelievers to Christ. And so every time we lead a, a person uh, to a conversion experience, the evangelist builds the church with every new conversion because we're all living stones in the church of Jesus Christ. And then past that comes the pastor teacher role. Uh, who, and so the pastor teacher is tasked with the responsibility of developing a discipleship program within the church so that every believer can then be equipped in the faith. And with all of that, I want to consider how Paul puts this here in Ephesians chapter 4. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 11. Here Paul declares, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till when? Till we all come to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Here in these verses we find Paul, he's describing the way that every pastor teacher has been called to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the entire body might be edified. And according to Paul, this equipping ought to continue until when? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's right. We've been called to receive the discipleship that we need, the equipping that we all need, until our church achieves a state of perfection according to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Sadly, there are many in the church today who don't really care to get equipped. For them, going to church is like checking the religious box on Sunday. And it's, okay, I, I paid my homage to the big man upstairs. I sang a couple of songs. Let's do a Bible study. And let, me get, let me get back to my life now, right? And it's sad that this is such a common way of looking at church now. It's just kind of a consumer concept where it's just like, you know, church is something that I go, I'm blessed, and then I leave and go get blessed somewhere else, Right? But that's not the design of the church. According to Paul, the, the, the person who is not being equipped in, in, this, in this way of discipleship, well, these are the believers who suffer from an arrested state of development as they you know, struggle to stand strong. And the reason why is because they're constantly being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the deceitfulness of those who are trying to stop us from standing strong with our Savior. And I've watched it for years, you know, the, you know, someone comes in and they're, you know, a little, a little excited about the Lord for a little while, but then they get, you know, caught off base with, you know, some, some idea, some doctrine, some, some, they were watching some YouTube video and next thing you know, they're off to the races with some strange idea and that just becomes everything to them. And so they leave and then they stumble and then they find themselves back in the world. And what do they do? Oh, I, I got to get back in church. And so they come back to church and the, it's just a cycle that I've seen in some people's lives that just over and over and over again, the same old thing, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. The Lord has established a a discipleship program, which is based in the word of God and and implemented by the pastor teacher of the church, the shepherd that he's, he's raised up to help equip every Christian within that church. And so we ought to be a part of the discipleship program that's happening within our church, the church that we've been called to. With this as the goal, it'll help you to know that we provide many different you know, discipleship opportunities here at Calvary South Austin. This includes our weekly services, you know, the Sunday and the Wednesday Bible studies. But we also offer men's and women's studies where Christians can receive gender-specific discipleship just as it's explained in Titus chapter 2, 
On Friday nights, we offer a singles ministry, and we also offer an, an addiction ministry. And, and not only that, but those who step up and, and serve, well, they also receive ongoing discipleship within the context of the ministry that they serve in, which is why we encourage every Christian here to plug into a ministry and start serving, because even in the serving itself, there's discipleship happening, but then there's also opportunities within each ministry for ongoing instruction to, to be received. Listen, there's no shortage of discipleship opportunities here at Calvary South Austin. And so if you don't feel like you're being discipled here, the question is, did you plug in? And I encourage you to do just that, to plug in and receive discipleship here within the context of your church. Please understand that the health of our church is directly related to our individual walk with the Lord because we are a spiritual body here. And listen, if one part of your body isn't functioning right, it affects the whole body. I, I, you know, if you've ever broken a finger, you recognize that your whole body hurts <laughs> when, when you break a finger. Why? Well, because you got to tie shoes, you got to put clothes on, you got to, you know, you, every time you try to cut that steak, whatever, you know, everything you try to do with your hands, well, if you have a broken finger, the, the, your body's going to hurt with just a little broken finger. And when there's members of the body that, that aren't functioning properly, the, the whole church is affected by that. We're members individually, and yet we're part of a, a whole body here who's being joined and knit together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's for this reason that we must get equipped so that we can become a functioning member of the body. Because in this way, as we all become functioning members of the body, the whole body is edified as we are all individually equipped. We must be equipped so that we as a spiritual body can stand strong as a body with our Savior. Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, it's important for us to realize that our conversion to Christ, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of our spiritual growth. And while I praise the Lord that those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are immediately covered with his righteousness because we are saved by faith, which is received, or by, by God's grace, which is received through faith in Jesus Christ. But our conversion to Christ is just the beginning of our spiritual growth. You know, you wouldn't look at a newborn baby and think, okay, we're done here. No, there's a, there's a whole growing process from the moment of birth forward. And, and much like the six-month-old baby who must learn to stand before they can even begin to walk, listen, the brand-new born-again believer must also learn how to spiritually stand as we learn how to walk by faith with the Lord, and so we should. With that being the case, listen, if you have been suffering from an arrested state of spiritual development, I encourage you to remember that those who want to stand strong with our Savior must first be established in the faith. And those who want to stand strong with our Savior must be encouraged in the faith. And those who want to stand strong with our Savior, we need to be equipped in the faith so that we can learn how to walk by faith with our Savior. 
Once we're established and encouraged and equipped in the faith, the Lord helps us to develop into disciples who are not only able to stand in the strength of our Holy Spirit, but we're also able to walk. And as we learn how to walk by faith with our Savior, listen, the Lord begins to use us in incredible ways. Because those who are established and encouraged and equipped in the faith, we also become those believers who then help others to stand strong with our Savior. And so let's become believers who are standing strong with our Savior so that then we can turn around and help others to learn how to stand strong with our Savior Jesus. Let's pray.